Yes, indeed, I am all in. I hope you are all in as well. Thank you. It's a great song that reminds us of what it means to be all in with Him. Last week, we sat on the side of the hill with Jesus. And he began to share with us what the blessed life was as we looked at the Beatitudes. He invited us to the blessed life, and we, we left it with this. We said that let's just spend some time every day this week and read from Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, take about five minutes a day. I hope you were able to do that. And then ask this question, what do you hear God saying to you about the blessed life? I then said, there will be a test right? So I hope you've come prepared, because here comes the test. Remember what we said last week? This is how the world is changed. God unleashes the blessed ones on the world. God unleashes the blessed ones on the world. And so today, we now come to our test. As we continue to sit on the side of the hill with Jesus in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doubles down on this idea of the blessed ones being sent into the world. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the peacemakers, those hungry for righteousness, the blessed ones, those are the ones that are unleashed on the world. But let's start today <clears throat> by first understanding what this is not about. In fact, let's start today at the end of the passage we're going to look at to help us have the right perspective. This is what this is not. Verse 20 of Matthew 5, For I tell you, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses the, the most religious among them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I, I guess let's just cut to the chase on that, really what he's saying. It is not enough to just make a display of religion. It's just not enough to declare your, your religious views or maybe your moral position or your moral stand. It's not enough to perform to a religious standard. It's not enough to have Bible knowledge and a pocket full of proof texts to prove your point. It's not enough to be from a family tradition of religion. None of that's enough. You see, this is, this is the problem with these, these Pharisees, these ones who are the teachers of the law, the most religious among them. They are very good. The problem with Pharisees is they are very good at being righteous and making sure that everyone knows that they're righteous. And they're also very good at making sure that other people know that they're not righteous enough. That's the problem with Pharisees. Later, Jesus says that this was all motivated by their opinion of others, wanting the right opinion of others. So he says, 
So you go and you do good, but you make sure everyone knows about it. He says, you pray in the marketplace so everyone could see how religious you are. And Jesus said, so what they do is they fast, and as they're fasting, they make sure they look like they're really in bad shape. You know, so people can go, wow, look at them. They're, they're being very spiritual. Those things, though, hear me now, they're not wrong. Doing good isn't wrong. Praying isn't wrong. Fasting isn't wrong, right? But we can be right while carrying the wrong spirit. And see, it, it's, 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 it's easy to be a Pharisee in a number of ways. Now, when we think of the Pharisees, we think of how they're you know, kind of uptight religious guys who tell everyone else how to perform, right? But at the heart of it is this. What they really want is they want everyone to see them. They want the world to be about them. They, they want people to see how good they are and how spiritual they are and how wonderful they are. Those things aren't wrong, but when we do it in the wrong spirit, everything right about those kind of practices is kind of going terribly wrong. And it's bankrupt of what it's intended. Jesus is saying this, that we will not be able to walk on this way with him that we've been talking about when our focus is on ourselves. John Ortberg captured this when he said, God made you to flourish. What a beautiful picture that is, right? God made you to flourish, but flourishing never happens by looking out for number one. It is tied to a grander and nobler vision. The world badly needs wise and flourishing human beings, and we are called to bring God's wisdom and glory to the world. The truth is, those who flourish always bring blessing to others. So where do we go with that? How, what do we do with that? Well, Jesus also says this in our text today. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we're not just to know Scripture, but rather Scripture is to shape and inform the way for us, the way we are to live this life, so that we become evidence of God's highest and greatest law, which is the law of love. Now, at the end of the day, talking about these Pharisees, this really isn't what this passage is about, though. Jesus is trying to make a point, but the passage isn't about the Pharisees. What Jesus is really talking about here is about the glory of being human, as Dallas Willard puts it, the glory of being human. He says, the potential of men and women to give their lives for the glory of God and for the good that God has created is precisely what makes human life great. If you want to know what the great life is, what you want to know what the good life is, it's this capacity we have to actually give ourselves away for the good. So let us now listen to how Jesus puts that. I so appreciated what James shared with us about salt and about that text. Oh, we're going we're gonna to crawl into that a little more. Let's listen to what Jesus, how Jesus puts it. He said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's one word that captures for me what Jesus is trying to say here, and it's the word reveal. Reveal. Now, some of you um, probably have been part of these baby reveal parties. Maybe you hosted one yourself where the gender is revealed in a creative way, right? It, it might be the color of the cake. It might be a chocolate cake, but on the inside, the, the color of the cake is either blue or pink or it might be the color of the candy in a pinata after someone whacks it and the candy comes out and, oh, it's a boy or it's a girl. Well, there are some people who have gone to some extremes when it comes to the baby reveal thing, right? So there's this one couple in Louisiana, they took a melon and they injected in the melon blue dye. And then, you know, what you think you do is you take the melon, you throw it up in the air and, and it breaks and you know what's going on, right? Not this couple. What they decided to do is get an alligator. I wish, I wish I was making this up. So they took the melon, filled with blue dye. They got that, that alligator, when you see the actual picture, it's got to be 10 feet, 8 to 10 feet alligator. It's a monster. And this is, this is the dad-to-be, and he's like, he's like smacking. Check the video. Go look for it. He's smacking the alligator on the face and all that stuff. And he's trying to play with them. And I'm thinking, did they sedate the alligator? But there's a couple points in the video where it looks like Maybe he will be melonless and armless at some point. And they put the melon in his mouth so that he would crush it and reveal the baby. That's a little extreme. Just a little, don't you think? Or maybe the dad-to-be who decided he wanted to reveal the gender of their child with fireworks. And so he made, go ahead and that next picture, see to the right he made this homemade firework and then he got like a long distance away with a rifle and he shot it and it blew up. And what they didn't anticipate it is started the famous sawmill fire in Arizona that burned 47,000 acres and cost $8 million to put out. Now that's extreme, Right? I'm glad Jesus was not so extreme. Or was he? Maybe he was. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do you know when this way of Jesus is truly becoming your way? How does the world know that you are on the way with Jesus? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, at the start of our series, we talked about how um, there's this growing narrative about the church that's pretty negative in the world in many ways, in the public arena. And you could argue whether that's deserved or not, and some of that's media hype, I think that's true. 
But whether or not that is deserved, and at times I think it is deserved, a negative reputation, that's not even the point. What Jesus is saying is that our lives reveal whether or not we are living in the way of Jesus. And in that sense, there is no such thing as a personal faith. There's no such thing as a private faith. In fact, our lives, this life of following Jesus, this way of following Jesus is a call to the public life. It's a public life. And that's fairly extreme. The Christian life is a public life. This text that we've read could be considered, in my estimation, an extreme reveal because we are called to move beyond the comforts of ourselves and religion and reveal to the world that we're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't leave room for ambivalence or nominal faith. And so our worship team beautifully sang for us those words, I am all in. So when you, when you read about the blessed life in, 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 in the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and then we say, you know, these, these are the blessed ones. These are the ones God is sending into the world. And then when we read about what we're not to be, not just to be these nominal people who are all about religion and who are just trying to be busy jamming religion down people's throats, that we are salt and we are light in this world. This is about being the sweet taste of grace and a clear light in the dark. we got to be all in. You are the salt of the earth. Now for us, as we heard, we think about salt as a table condiment, right? Helps our food, makes our food taste better. But back in Jesus' day, yes, it was used for flavor. It was used for preserving. It was also used to be mixed with manure, and worked into the ground to enrich it. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, his listeners were going, ah. What Jesus is saying is that our lives are to enrich the world around us. That's what Jesus is saying. Our lives are to enrich those around us. But if you do nothing... In that day, the salt wasn't like our salt, uh, our table salt so purified, but in that day, it wasn't so purified. And if they would leave it out, the flavor would evaporate from it. So if you leave it out or you do nothing with it, it loses its saltiness, he said. It is no longer good for anything, verse 13. So if you do nothing to enrich the lives and the world around you, Christian life grows stale. If we just make it about ourselves and we do nothing to enrich the world around us, to the world around us, our lives become tasteless. Tasteless. And they become tasteless no matter what we say. If our lives are not salt to the world. You are the light of the world, he said. Light. Light illuminates darkness. And in, and in Jesus' day, they would bring that light and they would set it on the, in the center of a room. And often they were just one-room houses. And they would set, set it on the center to bring light. 
And especially in his day, they would come in from the darkness, and darkness represented fear and danger to them. So they don't want darkness. They want light. So you set it right in the middle of the room. So it makes no sense to hide it. And Jesus says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You're the light of the world. People, you understand, you don't put a lamp in your house and then put a bowl on it. Its intention is to dispel the darkness. In fact, it not only did not make sense to try to hide it, but Jesus is saying, real light is actually impossible to hide. He says, you are the light of the world. One translation says, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. NIV says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. This city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I think that's been a misused term. And I I want us to really make sure we understand this. Some people have claimed that title, a city on a hill for our nation. But the truth is, this isn't a title for any nation. To make it so is to make that nation, any nation, an idol. What Jesus is referring to, keep it in the context. He's referring to the blessed ones who are sent into the world. This is really a metaphor of what the church is to be. We are to be this city on a hill that's lit up at night. I don't know about you, but when I travel by plane and it's dark, it's compelling to me to look out the window and look at lights, right? You look out and you see the lights of a city and and you're 37,000 feet up, but they just sparkle, right? They're just doing it. I love it. When they are not blazing, though, it's an indicator that something is wrong. When they're not lighting up the sky, it's an indicator of something like a power outage. When we were children, I remember um, this one section of our, of our area where I lived in, in northern New Jersey. We were 45 miles outside of the city of New York, and you'd go to this one hill, and you'd be able to look, and you'd see the glow of New York City. It was really rather uh, amazing. But then I remember as a kid when there was that big power outage in New York City. And I remember we went up to that hill and it was eerily, it was scarily dark. And you couldn't see it. There was something that was wrong. There was a power outage. The other thing we need to remember is that light is no respecter of persons. The lights on the city street do not turn on for you and not for me. If you go down the street and the lights turn on and then when I turn the corner and go down, they don't shut down the lights because now DeFrance is coming by. Shut down the lights. You're right. Something is not right about our faith when we are not a light to others. But also, I want you to remember and think about that light is no respecter of persons. So think with me for a moment about the person you want nothing to do with. Think about the people group you want nothing to do with. Think about the person who you try to avoid. I wonder 
maybe it's right there that God's actually calling us to be light. Maybe it's right there because light is no respecter of persons. And maybe that's exactly where you and I are called because Jesus said, you, you are the light of the world. Jesus didn't say to me, Jeff, you are the light of those who believe like you. Jesus, you are, Jeff, you are the light of those who live like you. Jeff, you are the light of those who look like you. Jeff, you are the light of those who sound like you. He said, we are the light of the world. The moment Jesus spoke about salt and light, the people got it. They understood. I think they probably got it more quickly than we did. And we do. This was about living a revealed life. What does my life look like when it's revealed? What does a life of salt and light actually look like? Well, from the Old Testament that Jesus said he was coming to fulfill, we find some good instruction. And Psalm 112 says, Even in darkness light dawns for the upright. But then he says this, For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, goodwill comes to those who are generous. Goodwill come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And then in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, he says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression... If you do away with pointing the finger and malicious talk, boy, we could all learn that well, can't we, in our world today? If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. When we, when we stop pointing our finger, when we, when we look out for those in need, it seems pretty clear to me when we are gracious and merciful and we're compassionate and we're righteous, when we seek justice, when we are not harsh and controlling or accusatory or judgmental, when we spend ourselves for those in need and those who are oppressed, we are an enriching agent, salt, and we illuminate the darkness, light. And that is the way of Jesus. That's the revealed life. That's the extreme reveal here. It's extreme. Recently, Kathleen and I um, went out and we took in the movie Just Mercy. If you haven't seen the movie Just Mercy, you need to see the movie Just Mercy. It's about a man by the name of Walter McMillan. And Walter McMillan was a man who was wrongfully um, convicted and sentenced to death row in Alabama. You know what's really when I heard this part, it's so hard. The moment he was arrested, before he even had a trial, he was put on death row. It was a whole rigged deal. And so it's about his story and about one man, Brian Stevenson, a young attorney from Harvard, who went down there and he began to fight for the rights of those who were wrongfully sentenced to death or mistreated on death row. And he did win an overturning of Mr. McMillan's sentencing. And he's gone on to address the injustice of dozens and dozens of people who were wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death. He's formed the Equal Justice Initiative. And it's, very, it's a very compelling story. He sought to bring light into the darkness of a broken criminal justice system. It's powerful. And I, and I walked away from that movie and I, 
I said, that's amazing. That's... But this is what I sensed. Can I just be honest with you? I said, that's too big for me. That, that seems too big for me. But then I've been thinking about this. Well, what about the couple that leaves church nearly every Sunday, gathers whatever food they can get together, and then they go to Manchester to bring food to the homeless in the park? And what about the young Christian leader we've come to know who brings her faith into her secular job and she advocates for fair and affordable housing as a Christian in her secular work? And what about, what about the single woman I know who fosters a child with trauma-related issues? And the family I know who functions as an emergency foster parenting household when they're called upon because of their faith? Or what about the individual who just shows up at the rescue mission and just serves people, but mostly what they do is they just make sure they get their names right and calls them by their names. Or the man who spends one night a week after a busy day with youth who are imprisoned, just trying to be Jesus to them. Or what about the woman who makes it a point to go out of her way when she's doing her errands to connect to an isolated senior adult, though no one has asked her to do that? What about the school teacher in our congregation who prayerfully serves children who are disadvantaged and who are struggling and sometimes abused and they're in her classroom? And right there, she says, even though it's hard, really hard, I'm salt and light. I, I could go on and on. I, I could go on and on. And suddenly, suddenly, it dawns on me, it's not so big. You all know I have an affinity for Dallas Willard, so I'm going to give you a little more of Dallas Willard. He said, what it is that makes human beings so precious? It is this. They are capable of being faithful to God and committed to the promotion of good in the world. They are capable of giving their lives for these things, even to the point of dying for them. You see, why that's so critical um, is because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for others. And so the way of Jesus, my friends, this is why it's an extreme reveal. The way of Jesus was sacrificing himself for others. So the way of Jesus for us to live the way of Jesus is to give ourselves to others. Where am I being salt and light, I ask myself, for the suffering, for the broken, for the lost, for the neglected, for the oppressed, for the despised, for the weak, for the refugee, for the immigrant, for the lonely, for the unlovable, for those who are unlike me. Where? How 
Are you giving your life for the glory of God and the good of others? It doesn't need to be a great project. It doesn't need to be some great thing. It actually begins in the ordinary. It begins in marriages. How are you salt and light in your marriage? Or the marriages around you? It begins in family life. To our children, to our students. Right now, our students, my friends, our students need you. Everyone in here needs you. Our students need you and me to be salt and light to them as we walk through this transition. They need you. They need me. It, it may be something as simple as your friendships and your workspaces. It's in how we treat our brothers and sisters in church and, and how we view and treat those in the world around us which often do not walk in the way of Jesus. How do you, how do I represent God in the public arena and in the marketplace? Don't point your finger at someone else, because that's very easy for all of us to do. Don't point your finger at someone else and, and you know, help them understand what they need to do. <laughs> Don't do that. Draw a circle around yourself, that old saying, draw a circle around yourself, Begin with yourself. Who is the one person or people group you need to be salt and light to? What one action do you need to take at home or work to enrich your relationships? What is one choice you need to make to focus on God and others and not yourself? One person, one action, one choice. You see, it is the ordinary of life. It is the ordinary of life that becomes this, this receptacle, this, this delivery system of a revealed life. It's our very ordinary places in life that become this place where Jesus is revealed to the world. So the question really is, will I live a revealed life? A little salty maybe. Will I turn the light on for the world to see? You, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and then glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. Our worship team is going to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much as we have already heard today and know today. We hear you call us to this light, but the truth is, apart from you, we can't do this. This must require our trust and our faith in you. And it's because of your life living in us, Jesus, that you begin to turn us inside out, as we said last week, this inside-out life. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would help us. Help us to have a heart like your heart. Lord, by your Spirit, would you guide us and lead us to those people and those people groups and those places where we need to be salt and light. Not for the whole world to know, but just to represent you. 
wherever we find ourselves. And then, Lord God, we will bring hope, your hope, wherever we find ourselves. Oh God, guide us, we pray, and make us more like you in this way of Jesus. Amen. So I invite you to the extreme reveal, revealing Jesus to our world. You can't do it on your own. It's not about your good works, my good work. It's about us living with Jesus and living this life in the world. It's about wherever you go, living your life out of loving Jesus and looking at the world through his eyes. And so, may we go and be the salt of the earth. May we go and be the light of the world. Let our light shine. That the world will see our good deeds. And then not talk about us, but we'll talk about our Father in heaven. We'll glorify him that the world would see Jesus wherever we find ourselves. May we go in his name. Amen. Greet one another in the name of our Savior today. You're dismissed.